My name is Keith Erickson. I'm 51 years of age. I'm serving a five consecutive life sentence for first degree murder and four additional in-house California three strikes life sentences for assault with deadly weapons. I've been incarcerated since I was 22 and I'm now approaching my 30th year in prison. I'm an ex-prison gang member. I'm an ex-drug and alcohol user. I'm an ex-criminal and so many other undesirable things that I I once believed were all I had the potential to be. My life's been riddled with trauma, violence, and self-destruction to say the least. However, the human spirit is a lot stronger than most people realize that. And I hope that my story will will, will prove that. Um, so I'd like to start with my childhood. Uh, my, my biological parents divorced when I was three. Uh, my mother soon remarried my stepfather when I was about seven or eight. I had one other sibling, my brother. He was a year and a month older than me. Uh, my stepfather, he was he was real abusive. He uh, he turned out to be a heroin addict, alcoholic, and he used to beat on me and my brother and my mom. Um, at the age of 11, my stepfather almost killed me. Um, it was 11, it was the day after my 11th birthday. My mother had made me a chocolate cake the night before. And he woke up that next morning, you know, he was a heroin addict, so he was dope sick. And he needed his next shot of heroin and he didn't have it. And uh, he took it out on us kids, you know, that morning he, he broke my ribs, collapsed my lungs, broke my arm, fractured my skull and the next door neighbors had broken, had to break down the bedroom door just just to get into the bedroom and save me. And, and uh, so they wrestled them off me. They called the police. And then uh, they took me away in, in an ambulance. Uh, when I was in the hospital, <clears throat> my mother had actually bailed up my stepfather out of jail with his family and brought him to the hospital to see me. And, and uh, so he could say sorry to me and, and all I remember is I was sitting in there with my one of my uh, my teachers from school had came to visit me with a bunch of cards and stuff from my classmates. And uh, I remember hitting the button because I was so scared. And security ran in. They rearrested my stepfather and uh, took him away. And within the next week, uh, CPS took me from the custody of my mom. You know, they felt like my mother put me in harm's way again and and uh, took me away from the from custody of my mom and placed me into the as a ward of the county. So I went into the uh, foster care system for about a year before uh, before I ended up being placed with my biological father, who I hadn't seen since I was a little boy. And uh, it was just different. It was hard. He had already started a new life with his family and his new wife. And I just remember feeling like, uh, even though they took me away from my mom and my brother and took me away from the immediate harm, I, I still felt like I had I'd been taken away from my, my family, you know, especially my brother. Uh, eventually I did go back with my mother and it was, uh, it was very strange relationship. Uh, I had a lot of resentments towards my mom. I started running away a lot, committing crimes as a juvenile. I spent most of my early teens in and out of juvenile hall. Uh, 
by the age of 15, I had already ran away from countless foster homes, group homes, boys' ranches, in and out of juvenile hall at least 21 times. And then I was sentenced to the California Youth Authority at the age of 15. Here in California at that time, uh, juveniles were sentenced and committed to, to the Youth Authority and housed amongst other other men that were up to 25 years old so i was 15 and i was on a lodge with grown men that were you know my age and all the way up to 25 i was exposed to a lot of a lot of violence a lot of sexual sexual violence a lot of physical violence a lot of things that a, a young boy shouldn't have to see at that at that age and uh it made me, unfortunately, it made me even worse. I, I got out of the California Youth Authority system and, and went back into the community and, and I had experienced things that, that were even more traumatizing than just what happened with my stepfather. Uh, my stepfather did go to prison for what he did to me. My mother did divorce him. And at the same time, my mother still had this she still picked men that were like that, men that were abusive, either mentally, physically. They were either alcohol. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. And I felt like my youth was stolen from me. I had to grow up so fast. By the time I was I was 18, I had already, you know, I had already been running the streets, committing crimes, you know, taking shortcuts in life. Um, at the age of 18, I was finally sentenced to, to adult prison. You know, I came into the prison system as an adult and I gravitated towards the, towards the gang subculture. You know, something I did in the California Youth Authority. Uh, one thing about the gang subculture is it gave me a uh, sense of belonging. It gave me a, a security. I felt like it was like a substitute for, for like family. You know, I had this misconception about it that that it, it would they would accept me for who I was without asking any questions, without judging me. And unfortunately, that's you know when I came came into the system, that's that's who I surrounded myself around. Um, so for the next few years, that that had become my lifestyle, inside and outside of prison. At the age of 22, after having you know, been estranged from my mother for years, not really having a relationship with her. Uh, she had called me one night, crying from a payphone, and had, had told me that her then new boyfriend had been beating on her and made her do sexual things. You know, even though they had been separated, they were still living in the same home. And uh, he, I guess he had sexually assaulted her that night. And she asked me if I would do something to him before he had, he ended up killing her. And you know, I, I, I knew at the time, I knew what my mother was asking me to do. Uh, I knew very well what was right, what was wrong. Um, and one thing about my mom is I always had this, I always felt this need to protect her and to always please her, no matter how much resentment I had towards her. So that night when she asked me, I knew what she, I knew what she wanted. She drove out that night and picked me up where I was, I was living in town, drove me out to her, her ranch home. And she, she actually put the gun in my hand. She put the gun in my hand and led me down the hallway and 
I walked into the bedroom where her her boyfriend was passed out drunk, and I shot shot him twice, shot and killed him that night. And I ran. I remember running out of the house and just throwing up all over the front yard, and just it just didn't seem surreal. I just couldn't believe that I did what I done. I uh, did, and I remember driving back. She drove me back home back to where I lived with my fiance and her parents in town. And I remember we didn't even speak. She just dropped me off and uh, said that she would she would get a hold of me in a few days. And she went back out that night and, and reported the, the murder as if it was a break-in robbery. And two weeks later, my mother and I were both arrested for, for the murder of her boyfriend. And eventually we were both tri- uh, tried and convicted sent to prison. My mother did receive a life sentence as well as myself. And I just came back into the prison system just just even full of more more hurt, pain, trauma, anger, resentment. And you know the funny thing is is this whole time that I was incarcerated, my mother didn't even write me a letter not one time in the twenty years prior to her getting getting released from prison, we never we never exchanged letters or she never answered any kind of Christmas card or anything that I sent to her in the prison where she was at. You know, I spent a lot of years carrying this this weight around with me like I knew that what I did was wrong and I, I justified you know my actions that night for years that I was protecting my mother and the fact that she, I felt like she sacrificed me for her, for her own life. So the day that she was granted parole, I remember calling my brother and he had told me, he told me I needed to sit down that he had something to tell me. And he told me my mother went to board and was found suitable for parole. And I, I couldn't believe it. I was in shock and I felt even more, I felt even more used and abandoned. And my, you know, eventually my mother did go home, and I didn't call her, and I, I didn't talk to her, and I, I till this day I don't I don't communicate with my mother. Um, it took me a long time to to let go of the fact that I wasn't protecting her that night. I could have there's so many other things that I could have done, and it was hard for me to accept the fact that she used me to to do that, you know, and. A lot of people over the years would tell me, uh, you know, no mother should ever ask her son to do that. No matter what, she could have left. She could have left him. She could have packed her stuff. She could have left. And she didn't call my brother that night. She didn't ask him to do anything. She called me. And I know why she called me that night. You know, she called me because she knew that she could. She knew that everything that I had been through, the lifestyle that I had lived, the trauma that I've already endured, she knew, I think she knew deep down that I would respond in a way that would make it okay for me to do something like that. And I think she played on that, you know? And it took me a lot of years in here to walk away from, from, from everything that I was involved with, whether it was the prison gangs, the violence, the, the use of drugs, the use of alcohol, 
all these things that I was doing to numb myself to from feeling all the things that I need to. And I and I used to tell people when I sit in these self help groups in here, I used to tell them the night that I pulled that trigger, I didn't even see, I didn't even know the man that I killed that night. I didn't know my mom's boyfriend. The man that I saw that night was my stepfather at the age of 11. I felt like I was finally in a position to protect myself, to protect my mother. And as weird as that sounds, I just, I, that's what I felt like. I didn't even picture him, I pictured Jerry Lee. You have 60 seconds remaining. Um, today, it's taken me 10 years to get to the point where I am today. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I was sentenced to 248 years to life in the end with five consecutive life sentences. And today, as of three months ago, I was petitioned by the prison, put up for resentencing back to my county for exceptional behavior and all the outstanding things I've been doing and the changes I've made in my life. And now I have the opportunity to go before the board and go home. And I never, I never imagined myself reaching the point where I'd start this process of healing and here I am. And here I am today, I'm 51. Okay. Uh, so I was put up for resentencing by the prison where I was recommended for uh, to have all my re enhancements removed, which will place me uh, in eligibility for, for review by the parole board. And now I have the opportunity to go home. Um, I'm married today. I have three stepchildren and a granddaughter. And my journey of, of self-healing, it, it's, it's taken me at least 10 years or more to get to where I am today. Um, and it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy at all. Letting go of my mother was probably a, one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Um, but at the same time, it was probably the healthiest thing that I could have ever done because it allowed me to start the process of healing. I no longer resent my mother. I don't love my mother as my mother. I do love her as a human being and I feel compassionate and empathetic towards her. Just like, just as if I would any other human being that I know that suffered as well as I have. And I'll tell you, I've been doing this for 51, you know, 51 years of my life, living this life I felt as if I was just existing for so long. I never felt like I was living. I was just waiting for, I was just waiting for it all to be over with. Uh, it took a long time for me to find some sense of, of purpose, some sense of significance, some value, some self-worth. You know, I've spent at least 40 years of my life incarcerated. I think about the, the time I've done as an adult, the time I've done as a juvenile at juvenile halls and the California Youth Authority. And 13 of them years was spent in solitary confinement uh, in the shoes, segregated housing unit. I was a documented gang member. I was deemed a threat against other inmate po uh, in the general population. And 
I think the only thing that helped me keep my sanity was the fact that I had a strong spirit. Despite everything I've had to endure as a child, the trauma, and the lifestyle that, that, that led me up to that point, I think that I had something in me that was stronger than, than most people know. And that's why I talk about the human spirit, because no matter how many times I felt alone, and I thought about taking my own life, and I felt empty and at the bottom, there was something inside me that wouldn't let me go, wouldn't allow me to let myself go. And those 13 years in the shoe, you know, I came back out here into the general population after walking away from the gang lifestyle. And I think the hardest thing for me was not having an identity, you know? I, I no longer went by my prison moniker. I no longer associated with other, other known gang members. And I think the thing that I struggled with the most was trying to find my place in the world, despite it being in here. The most significant thing that I did do is I, got, I started getting an education. I started enrolling into college classes. I remember getting my first, uh, my first two A's in my first two classes, and I started believing in myself. I started attending self-help groups. I started talking about the things that I experienced as a child. I started seeing it in other men that I was surrounded around. And you never really see that because in here you're expected to wear this mask and, and, and conceal this vulnerability because, you know, you don't want people taking advantage of you by seeing your weaknesses. You know, once you go into those self-help groups and you're sitting in that room full of men and you're, you're sharing the things that you've all had to experience, you realize that all these people that you think you've had indifferences with, all these people that were part of, of old factions, gangs that were that were supposed to be your enemies, you realize that they have so much in common with you and they hurt just like you do. And I think that's where the healing started to take the most shape for me was being able to talk about it and then sharing your story, my story, and then having others come up to you later on outside the group and, and thank you for sharing your story and giving them that, that you know, that, that outlet kind of opening the door for them as well to want to talk about their own stuff. And, and, and I think that's, that's a powerful thing. I think being able to share my story has not only helped, helped so many other people, but it's helped me as well in the process and because it's also allowed me to hear about other people. Um, and here I am today, you know, the prison that I'm at now, I'm, in, I'm responsible for at least 10 other self-help groups. I run workshops, whether it's parenting workshops, anger management, domestic violence, substance abuse, criminal and gangs anonymous, the youth mentor program that I, that I, I facilitate here where at-risk youth come in from the community and we, we mentor them throughout the day. Um, I realized it's helped me, it's, it's taught me the, the, the significance of life and it's, it's, that's what life's about. It's, it's about helping other people and it's, it's about being of service. And the only way that I can keep it is my willingness to give it back to other people. And here it is, I, you know, I was considered one of California's worst of the worst inmates. And here I am today where 
people turn to me. People come to me and ask me for advice. They ask me for direction. They ask me to be their mentor, their sponsor. And I'm grateful for that. I know what it uh, it means now to be respected as, as a man in here and not be, have this misconception about respect. And, and and thinking that you have to get respect from other people by making them fear you or demanding it out of them, you know? And it feels good. It, it feels good to, to, to be able to express, you know, compassion and how much you love somebody without being afraid of that vulnerability, you know? And it's not easy. It, it's, it's not easy at all every day. And here's, you know, it's the same thing every day. You wake up to the same walls in here, but you have to have this mindset and this, this, this peace of mind and this peace of heart and this spirit inside of you that keeps you going. Because here I was thinking that I was gonna spend the rest of my life in here and, and eventually die in here with 248 years of life. And I wasn't even ever supposed to go home. And, and here it is. I now have the opportunity to go in front of the board and I could, you know, very well likely go, go back out into, into the community. And I'm not the same person that I was. I'm not the same person that I was as a little boy, you know, as, as, a, as a young 22 year old, the night that I took, took another human being's life. And I'm not the, the, the person that I thought I had to become all those years following when I first came into the prison system, you know? I have, I have self-worth now that, that, that leads me in the direction of where I want to be, you know? And if I could say just one thing to, to anybody that, that's hearing my, my story, it's again, no matter what you're going through, no matter what hardships or heartache that you seem to be facing or, or no matter how far you are at, that, at the bottom of that tunnel where you don't think you could see any light, the human spirit is a lot stronger than you may think. You just have to want it. You just have to want something else. And that's, I think that's what's kept me going all that time. The 13 years that I was in the shoe, everything that I had to go through, the strength to let go of my mother, the strength and the courage to start healing. Again, the human spirit is, is a powerful thing. You just gotta want more.